Welcome listeners. We are excited to have you back on this journey with us trying to discover how to find balance and live a happy life. Today we are exploring our questions with Hillary Fenrich. Among other things, Hillary is a senior fellow in the Environmental Leadership Program, a network I also belong to. She recently asked a question to the network that piqued my interest. I think you will find the information she gathered very relevant to the questions we are exploring in this podcast. A few years ago, Hillary worked deep in the Amazon jungle with intermittent electricity and found herself by candlelight up until 4 a.m. reviewing reports. The long hours caught up to her and she left the rainforest in poor health. She now works at a conservation nonprofit, and while you won't find her by candlelight in the middle of the night, she's increasingly vocal about her hours that stretch over into her everything other than work life. Wanting her life to encompass more than pockets of freedom solely in the weekend, she's striving for intentionality and balance personally, while co-leading a community of care committee professionally. At work, Hillary is consistently reflecting on the sustainability and long-term strategy of the social and environmental movement, and how organizations can better provide for their staff. And in everything else, she's getting back to her creative and natural roots. And she's excited to share a few thoughts with us today. We're so glad to have you here, Hillary. <laughs> Thank you for having me, Marcy. I really appreciate it. So I have been really enjoying asking this question first to all my guests. I'm really interested to hear what you do purely for the joy of it and how you hold space for that when life gets challenging. I love this question, Marcy, so thank you for posing it. For me, definitely salsa and bachata dancing. Mm. So I learned this first in Costa Rica, and then I feel like I honed my skill in Peru. And now with COVID, I'm not necessarily going out and dancing with others, but I end up dancing through the kitchen, washing dishes, mm. or taking a mini dance break during the workday. So that's my number one way. Although I've also picked up watercoloring recently, and I'm pretty good at a sunflower. That's about it. <laughs> <laughs> That's so great. I love that example of how you modified it during a tough time, too. I'm also interested to hear more about what drives you. I shared a little bit about your story, but can you share it with us a little more about what drives you in your work or life and what do you care about? I think at the core of who I am and how I want to show up in the world, I care most about making authentic connections with people, trying to really build a slower life, but a richer life. So when I'm thinking about that, I'm referring to more time in nature, more time in the sun, more understanding of what I'm putting in my body, on my body more gratitude, more community, more reflection, more authentic conversations. And I really try to do that both in my work and outside of my work as well. And something as well that really drives me is I absolutely love to learn. So I'm constantly trying things out very casually or getting hooked into certain books. And I love to learn outside of my 40-hour work week, but I also love to grow in my workplace. That's great. The watercolors you mentioned at the beginning, is that an example of something new you've learned that's more on the play side, <laughs> not in the workplace? 
I don't know if I could say I've learned it, Marcy, <laughs> but I am definitely attempting. Mm. Yes, definitely something new. I I love making things with my hands. So whatever that looks like, it's consistently changing, but just really building out that creative vein of my humanity and connecting to it because it's like with everything, if you don't use it, then you lose it. And I love the creative space of my brain and I want to use that as much as possible. And I want to make that a habit, whether that's watercoloring or something else. Yeah. It was really interesting to hear you talk about kind of a slower life too, and how that's a central theme and something that drives you. Do you find that that rubs against the work culture that you're in right now or work culture in general in this country? I think that in a lot of ways, it's complementary. So yes, of course, the slower lifestyle rubs against like the traditional work, 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 eat your lunch in front of the computer, keep yourself off camera so that you can munch on that sandwich. Yes. But at the same time, what I see is my way of approaching the slower lifestyle. So things like if someone decides to leave the team and go venture out for other opportunities, sending that person a handwritten note with comments from other team members, recognizing and valuing all of their efforts that they have put in during that time. This is something that I try to bring to my team. And lo and behold, everyone loves reading notes and receiving Mm -hmm. mail. So it's something that I think is possible It might be surprising and maybe a little bit against the grain, but I think people recognize and value it when they see it. That's great. What a good example. Well, as you know from my description of this podcast and what we're going to talk about, I'm really interested in balance. And I'd love to hear how you define balance and if you think it's something worth striving for. Oh, is it worth striving for? Absolutely. I feel like that is (laughs) one of the key points. I do a practice every year at the beginning where I'm very intentional about what I want my word for the year to be. And this year it's balance. So what does that mean? It it means I have little notes in various places reminding me that that is um, what I'm striving for. It means all of my passwords have the word balance in them. Don't, don't steal my stuff. (laughs) (laughs) And I think for me, Balance means feeling good and like I have the skills to handle whatever is in front of me. Hmm. And there's many moments, I think, in life where you're not necessarily going to always feel happy or always feel productive, but just having that certainty within yourself that I'm okay. Life won't give me anything that I can't handle. And having enough confidence in yourself and enough certainty in self that you can say, I need to put up this boundary and Mm. respect that for yourself because we give others a lot of our respect, but maybe we don't give that as much to ourselves. Mm. Yeah, that's a very good point. (laughs) With balance being your word of the year, uh, you couldn't say no to this podcast, I guess. (laughs) (laughs) I was like, hmm, did I summon Marcy somehow? Well, going into that conversation a little bit more about when life sometimes is out of balance, I'd love to hear an example from your own life. I kind of alluded to one in your introduction. Maybe you want to talk about that or something else. 
when you felt out of balance? What was that time like for you? Mm. So, yeah, as you mentioned in my intro, Marcy, when I was working in the jungle, I was in love. Um, I was in love with my surroundings. I was in love with the people that were there. I was in love with the work. But working by candlelight at 4 a.m. Mm. <laughs> takes a toll. <laughs> mm-hmm. And I ended up leaving because I got very sick, as you mentioned, and I simply couldn't get better no matter what I tried, no matter the doctors I went to. And even now, three years later, I'm still healing that from that physically. Mm. And and so in a strange way, it felt like a dream on one hand. I wake up with howler monkeys. I get to support others in their learning journey. I'm living a simple life. I have dinner by candlelight. I read at bedtime because there's no electricity. But on the other hand, lonely mm. because I'm in a gorgeous place doing work that I love, but my cup is completely empty and everyone who walks through that door is stunned by the beauty of the place. So how can I possibly articulate to anyone this this feeling of being overwhelmed, this lack of sustainability in myself? And it just felt wrong to question Hmm. that feeling of being out of balance when I was sitting in that setting with such a beautiful community. But that Mm. is how I felt. And looking back now, I can recognize that. Uh, But it was very, very difficult at the time to kind of play around with that idea. I think there's something really deep there and easy to connect with. I'm sure a lot of people, myself included, have had experiences like that where you have what seems to be your dream job or your dream place or dream thing. And yet somehow it's draining you. Uh, it's, it's, It's because maybe even that it's so such a good fit and you're so excited that you put too much of yourself in and you forget to prioritize your health and these other things. I think that's a great example. I found that to be true for me when I was a teacher. I gave way more than I should have of myself and then I had to take a step back from that role. And then again, more recently when I was working for the city of Boston, I was just really enjoying that work and felt very passionate about it. But then in the end, that led to me not being able to do that work anymore. Before we move away from the things that were challenging, I'd be curious if you want to say any more about what you learned from that hard experience. I think that experience really helped me value myself a lot more because it made me recognize for the first time ever, if you don't put dedicated energy into yourself, first off, No one will do that the way that you can do that. And secondly, no experience, no work can do that the way that you can do that. So it has to be you. That's Mm. really putting that energy, that time, those resources into yourself. And you have to be the first person who is an advocate for yourself more than anyone else. And it took me being physically sick and unable to heal myself to recognize, wow, I mean, health, health is not a given. Mm. (laughs) Health is not a given. And this is a temporary, this is a temporary place where I am. And it will be even more temporary if I don't get better. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And 
it just encouraged me, I think, to recognize that you can have a beautiful opportunity in front of you, but there's this peace under the surface and only you can really recognize that as what it is. And every time you try to vocalize it, like right now, um, even then it might be difficult to really vocalize like what you're feeling inside, but just know that and own it and say, this is how I feel. And this is what I'm going to do from that point moving forward. Um, so let's think now about times that you felt in balance. What did that feel like for you? The most imbalance that I've ever felt was when I was farming in Alaska. Mm. <laughs> so all these fun experiences you've had. <laughs> <laughs> definitely, definitely different. So I spent the day under the midnight sun. I was laughing over vegetables that we harvested <laughs> with really good friends, eating a hundred percent the freshest and most delicious organic produce and meat that I've ever eaten. And by nighttime, I was building community and fires. Mm. <laughs> so in this instance, balance for me was achieved because I'm moving my body. I'm working with my hands. I'm learning. I'm outside. And I'm nourishing myself through laughter, through good food, and through community. But as you know, Marcy, I'm not a full-time farmer in Alaska. <laughs> <laughs> and... It is hard to stay in balance for me in the lower 48. Mm -hmm. um, but with that, I still feel like I do have pockets of balance and I do feel like I am working towards these healthy practices in my current work. And so I wanted to lay out maybe a few things that help me set that balance in my work if yeah. that would be helpful. That would be great. So... I think for me, there's kind of four key components to this, and this is what works for me. So it might not necessarily work for anyone else, but I hope it can be helpful as a first point to think about this. So first off is setting boundaries. Everyone always says this, but I think it's worth repeating. A few things that I do very specifically, I never download work email on my phone, uh, ever. I've never done it. Uh, I will not do it. I, if I absolutely needed access for whatever reason to my work email, I would just navigate there through Google. And this ensures that I never have to be pinged for urgent uh, notifications that really aren't mm -hmm. urgent. I also noticed when we had our prep call that you had your phone like completely separately from your computer we were chatting on. I, was that another example of this boundary you set? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think that life can just kind of waste away on these screens. And I want to be very active and intentional about what time am I putting behind these screens? And how can I be separating myself a little bit? Mm -hmm. Really, really thinking through how do I want to communicate and relate to folks? And what does that look like for me? And and where do I need that concentration and strategy space away from these notifications? In terms of setting boundaries, I also write a reminder for myself the night before about when my first meeting is of the day at the workday. So this means that I never have to pull up my email early to check in and say, oh, was that meeting at eight or nine? And I'm, I'm sure that you've heard this before, Marcy, but I 
really work to schedule blocks of time in to get the strategic and the catch-up work done. So trying to set some boundaries, trying to build in time for reflection. So I have an extra calendar on my work calendar that no one can see except for me. And every Monday morning, I'll write a few goals for the week as a calendar appointment, kind of big picture, what I really want to get out of the week. And on Wednesday, I'll make myself a calendar appointment to check in and see how I'm doing on these goals. And then on Friday, I'll do a final check, like how how did I do on these goals? This helps me align my priorities and make sure that in all of the hustle and bustle of emails and meetings that what I know that I need to get done that week is not lost. And on that same secret calendar that I have, Marcy, I <laughs> keep myself honest. So if I am working over a normal work day, then I write that into my calendar. I will say, oh, I started two hours earlier. Oh, I finished an hour late. And the reason why I think this is important is because it keeps myself accountable. Like, whoa, Hillary, like back away from work a little bit. But I've also actually used this information to tell my supervisor that we need additional capacity on our team because these are the hours that I'm working over time. That's really good. When I was a teacher, I found that reflection was something that was built into the calendar because of the way that the schedule is. You finish a semester, reflect on how that went and think about the next semester and build in any changes you want. When I got into the city of Boston, I found that it was really hard to hold on to that space for reflection because it's just not naturally built in. So I think it's great that you're finding strategies to make sure that happens in your life. Yeah, it's it's definitely not built in, <laughs> that's for <laughs> sure, in, into a normal, I think, working environment. Something that I try to do as well is make dedicated space for mini retreats. So whether that is a retreat such as the Environmental Leadership Program, or whether that is a retreat in terms of a management training, or a reflection of, of some sort, and blocking that time on my calendar really helps me be better about building that time for reflection and growth and how am I doing at, at this organization and, and with myself. So I would encourage that as well. Yeah, what a great idea. Even if it's quarterly or, you know, twice a year, just having those opportunities to step back from your day to day. Exactly. So we heard from you boundaries, reflection. You think you said there were four. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so the next one is movement. So movement is really important to me, not just in, in dancing. And so what I try to do is give myself a buffer of movement after work before I make any sort of plans for the evening. This is usually about 30 minutes and I go for a walk to decompress or I go for a little mini hike. I enjoy the last rays of sunshine and it also just helps me breathe out the workday and kind of get rid of it until the next day. I've, I've noticed that if I hike alone during this time, I feel more restored and like ready to take on the evening. I think for some people that could be as simple as using a form of movement in their commute home if they live in a, such a place they can do that. Like for me, I always felt better if I biked home from the city or if I took the train and walked. That could be a way that people could get that, turn your commute into that that exit space that you need. 
Absolutely. Mm-hmm. And I, I love that. I think it's harder, of course, for rural folks to do that. So right now I can go outside, but I'm not walking into town anytime soon. But, <laughs> but it sounds like you live near places you could hike. So exactly. <laughs> good too. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. No, I, I love that. Something else that I feel <laughs> funky saying this, but some someone recommended to me Oh, we're on Zoom meetings all the time. Sometimes we're on camera. Sometimes we're not. We're not on camera. Why don't we take some meetings on a treadmill? And I just put a plank of wood over like the arms of the treadmill, and I try to do at least thirty minutes a day, actively walking and taking a meeting. That's been helpful too to have movement built into my workday like that. Or if you can, if you're in a position where you can suggest that that's not a video meeting and just make it a call and take your call while you're walking. Exactly. I I take all of my check-ins now on my phone just to free myself a little bit from where I need to be that day. Mm -hmm. That's great. That's really great. So what's your fourth uh, tip for us? (laughs) So my fourth (laughs) tip is community. So in the workspace, how I try to do this is building in time for many check-ins with colleagues that I think would, would be fun to play around with some ideas or just to see how they're doing and kind of catch up on what's going on in their lives. I try to build these in to my calendar, just 30 minutes or so, and I probably do at least three a week. I find that it helps me be more connected with the work that I'm doing. It helps me understand all of the moving pieces a little bit more as well. And it helps find synergies. So I know who to go to about XYZ thing. Mm-hmm. And outside of work, I try my best to actively schedule activities during the week. So whether that's phone calls with friends or a dinner happy hour. Right now I'm taking Portuguese classes, for instance. When I think about what I want my life to be, I want it to be full of friends and family and good conversations. And so that's that's the piece of my life that I want to hold on to. And that's where I want to give a lot of energy to these people in my community. And at the same time, those are the spaces that rejuvenate me and like bring me back to my passions, my interests. Yeah. You're making me think about how, first of all, it's so good that you can articulate these things that you are able to do to find balance in your life, but also how much the pandemic for many people really wreaked havoc, even if you know yourself well, and you know, these are the things you need to feel happy. There were so many of these that were probably disjointed or off because, you know, boundaries were harder to set. It was harder to be in community. The types of movement you may be held to or used as your standard movement were harder to do. Absolutely. I I think most things are harder during the pandemic. Mm -hmm. Well, I want to spend a few minutes talking about the reason I originally reached out to you, which was we're both part of this network, which you mentioned, the Environmental Leadership Program. And you posed a question to the group that really piqued my interest. And the question was, do you have examples, perspectives or feelings on how organizations can best offer support, space and structure around rest for its employees? Can you just talk a little bit about what led you to ask this question? So I co-lead a community of care committee at the nonprofit that I work for. 
And at that nonprofit, we have fantastic benefits, honestly, if I do say so myself. So we have unlimited well-being hours, a stipend that's put to the side for each employee's wellness. We have employee paid therapy sessions, a president who continually mentions that it's important to take the time that you need. If anyone from that nonprofit is listening right now, let's let's get together for sabbatical <laughs> policy. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but despite all of these benefits that we do have, we are tired. It's this collective exhaustion. And when tragedies are happening in the world, as what's currently happening right now, I don't really feel like I can take that time to process or even advocate for what I can do to help these various situations. And some of this tiredness is residual trauma from hundreds of years, for instance, of institutionalized racism. Some of it, I do believe, is the pandemic, the war that's going on. We have the political back and forth. We have the splitting of opinions. Are you on this side or that side? And I think something new that is coming up is this ever clearer feeling of eco-anxiety. Climate change is, is pressing in and we're seeing it. And I can work my bum off every single day, Marcy, for 24 hours, but how can I push on climate change? How can I make sure that I'm making that impact? So what surfaced for me when I'm thinking through these pieces and I'm thinking about the Community of Care Committee is how can an organization provide both solid benefits and supportive teams, but there's still this exhaustion? So where does that leave us? And I think where that leads us is that it's not enough. I started thinking about the sustainability of, of our movement, this social and environmental movement that's happening all over the world right now. And I was playing around with the words sustainability. So the ability to sustain. And when I think about it, Marcy, I think to myself, what a poor long-term strategy that we are playing right now. People are burning out left and right and center because they are passionate and they're driven and they believe in a just future and they want to help it. And they are also undervalued and underpaid and underheard and they are tired and I am tired. And so how can an organization get right in the middle of all of that and not politely and not one toe in the sand and one toe out, but radically transform that system and radically build authentic practices and culture that are actually counterculture by supporting rest and rejuvenation as absolutely critical to this work, as, as the number one building block to this work, the essential that you can't continue without this. Yeah. And when you pose it that way, it just makes such logical sense, even if you're thinking from an employer, because if you have all of these staff who are burning out, 
That means that they're going to leave and you have to fill that position. It takes time to train. It takes time to orient people into what you're trying to do as an organization. And so if you can actually care for your people and make sure that they get the rest and rejuvenation they need, it's a better long-term strategy for you. And it's a better long-term strategy for us as a world trying to accomplish these things. Absolutely. Beautiful summary, Marcy. <laughs> just, <laughs> just like that. It, it, it makes business sense and it honestly makes sense for the future of the world that we want to live in. Yep. And I know so many people that are in that space right now. I was just having a conversation actually after a workout with two people I didn't even know they're, what they do for work. And they shared a little bit and both of them were expressing that they're really feeling burnt out. There's just so many different fields. So many different people are really experiencing this right now. So I'm curious what you discovered from this question. And just so people know, this network is an opportunity to share questions and people really respond with interesting and authentic answers from their own experience. So what did you get back and what did you find surprising or interesting? So first off, yes, thank you to the Environmental Leadership Program and that network for really that this community thought partnership, the offering of experiences and ideas and love and support. I think what was both surprising and not surprising was how much this resonated with folks you could really see that feeling of exhaustion that we're talking about. There was almost a hundred exchanges back and forth. And what I was really loving about the exchanges is how much energy and community thought partnership there was around this. What I found is there are kind of three main pieces, it seemed, of what sort of benefits, what sort of structural support can an organization give. And these are flexible time and dedication to wellness hours. Number two is establishing community norms. And then lastly, an organization can support avenues for community and nourishment of the soul. And so when I'm thinking about flexible time and dedication to wellness hours, if you pour all of these ideas together and, and stir them up, what I was hearing was wellness days, offering wellness days, some folks had offered unlimited well-being days, offering harvest days to physically harvest food when it's in season. I think that came from the Fairbanks Coalition, that particular one. And ceremony days, there were days of gratitude. There were half-day Fridays. There was one about a minimum vacation time. So if you're taking vacation, mm. you have to take at least seven days. I thought that was really interesting, mm -hmm. <laughs> just recognizing mm -hmm. that it takes our brain a while to actually shut down and turn off work. Exactly. Mm -hmm. So really being able to step away and, and actually rejuvenate yourselves on, on that vacation. There was the one in here that I just found so fascinating that was about 150% time on vacation. Yeah. So that one was all about this person they had their base salary, and if they didn't take their full vacation of that year, then they wouldn't actually make it to that base salary because they had that vacation time that was factored in as 150%. So if you really wanted your full salary that's on your offer letter, they were forced essentially into taking vacation, which 
I kind of love uh, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> as long as you can take that time and really disconnect. Yeah, it, it shifts the value structure on rest and rejuvenation. It's really fascinating. I think my most surprising piece out of that flexible time and that dedication to wellness hours, I was so surprised that so many organizations had sabbatical policies. I was surprised mm-hmm. and I was impressed. And I was like, I'm taking this, <laughs> taking this home. <laughs> Yeah, that is great. My husband had an opportunity to take a sabbatical. They have since stopped doing that at his company, unfortunately, but he had that opportunity. And I'm taking one now unpaid so I can talk about the value of it. It's just been a really amazing time for me. And I hope that everybody gets a chance to do a sabbatical every five years or even, you know, less would be great. (laughs) Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So the second section was on norms. You want to talk a little bit more about what was interesting or surprising in that section? Sure. So the next piece was, yes, establishing norms. So simple pieces like blocking off time to go through some more strategic work, catch up on work, supporting one another in saying no to requests. I thought that was really interesting. And helping one another uplift consistent boundaries with partners. So if if your partner writes to you on Friday afternoon, not immediately saying yes, but saying, oh, you know what, we'll take a look and we'll go back to you sometime next week. And really having that shared sense of what is our team like and how can we support one another? I think for me, the surprising piece that came out of this is there is an IT department out there that deletes all of someone's <laughs> emails on vacation. So hmm. you go out to the Philippines for a week on your vacation and next thing you get back and instead of having 2000 emails uh, during that time that you were away, you have zero emails so that you can start fresh and really get back into the work. I love that practice. I think I thought that one was really interesting, too, because one of the biggest barriers to actually resting is that you constantly feel like something is coming in. There's more information that you have to respond to something else you have to do. And so if you take that away and say, nope, uh, there's no new information coming into you. (laughs) Mm -hmm. It's great. If only we could do it on the weekend and evenings as well. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, exactly. And there's no new information, but also I think it keeps the organization accountable for you said that this employee is on vacation, let them be on vacation. Uh, And so if you had your, if you were receiving those emails, regardless, you might be there in the Philippines and casually checking your emails just once in a while. But if you knew there was absolutely no way that you would access any of those emails and all of your team members knew that as well, they they shouldn't bother writing you, it just changes the mindset so much around that vacation and really respects it, I would say. Yeah, I think the norms whole conversation also gets back to what you were talking about with boundaries and what was so hard about the the pandemic that also led to a lot more burnout, I think, is that all those boundaries got mush together. You didn't leave your office because a lot of people, your office became your home, which meant that you're checking emails at all times. You're responding to things at all times. So if we, getting back to these norms, have more clear norms at our offices and our workplaces around when 
people respond or when it's okay to respond and that sort of thing. And if you feel free to not check your emails and have those boundaries, those norms can really protect you, I think, and help you rest. Absolutely. And those norms, I don't think can just be something that select folks pay attention to. It has to be something that is modeled by leadership, I believe. And so that leadership is encouraging you what what are you doing? It's past 5 p.m. Get get off your, off your phone. I think it has to be both ways. It has to be from the ground up and it has to be from the top down. And all of that has to coalesce around these organizational or team norms. Yep. And then it just becomes a challenge of thinking back to how I sabotaged myself because sometimes you have people around you who are telling you healthy norms, but then I would actually set my emails to leave at different times than I actually wrote them. (laughs) So I'd be writing emails at 11 or 12 at night, but then set them to arrive in someone's inbox at 8 a.m. So no one knows that I'm misbehaving (laughs) and not caring for myself. (laughs) But I think the important part there is that you know if I know enough that I know I have to change the time that I'm sending this email, I definitely know deep within myself that, hmm, maybe I should re-look at this practice. <laughs> so there's one other section, community and soul nourishment. Can you talk a little more about that? Of course. So the number one piece from community and nourishment of the soul, I think, is organizations should just ask what people require ask the employees, what do you need to see in terms of organizational support and care? What does that look like to you? In some of the organizations and the folks that wrote to me, this might look like employee resource groups for certain identities. This might look like employee paid therapy sessions or meditation, yoga, mindfulness, spa passes someone was offered. And I was like, Get me there, wherever that is. <laughs> this, this might mean well-being, spending money once a year. One particular offering that I want to uplift here is someone wrote to me about how each semester, they were also a teacher, each semester started with a retreat. And that retreat was a two or three day retreat where they were physically in community. The first day was really built up around reflection and team building, hiking with one another. And the second day was getting into the thick of it. How am I planning for this semester? What do I need to do to get myself organized? But the first day was all soul nourishing activities and really building out that community with the people that will be there through the rest of the semester. And then the second one is like, all right, let's let's get down to it. I'm really interested to know what do you hope to do with all this really interesting information that you gathered from our network? First and foremost, because it was a collective and community thought partnership, I put all those ideas together and basically sent them back out into the community to give back. What I've heard from folks is that they have passed those recommendations, those suggestions on to their operations team, their HR team. And that's really exciting to me because I think collectively it's raising the standards for how organizations should support their employees and how can they rise to this moment. It's it's a tough time. It's an organization right now is facing challenges that they haven't faced before. And so giving them ideas on how to do it and, and what else is out there, I think it's really helpful. 
Yeah, that's great. If it's okay with you, I can include a read-only version of this in the show notes for anyone who's curious to look at. Of course. Well, I've been ending all of these conversations with a question about influencers, because I'm really curious to hear what's influencing them in their journey. So for you, do you have authors or artists or other influencers that you'd recommend others check out that have helped you as you navigate some of these questions? First and foremost, there is a book. It's called The Tao of Pooh by Benjamin Mm. Hoff. And it blends Taoism with the story of Winnie the Pooh, who (laughs) is one of my most beloved characters when I was growing up. And it's, it's told in such an engaging and relatable way that I think it just helps center my mind and, and, and remember what's important to me. How can I find that in an everyday kind of way? Mm-hmm. I'll also offer, if anyone has heard of Trevor Hall, um, he's a musician, does a lot of acoustic. If you're looking for certain songs, I would recommend Still Water and You Can't Rush Your Healing. Both of those songs are incredibly powerful. They're soulful, they're connected with nature. They really speak to my soul and also great to meditate to. I would also encourage listeners to recognize though that there are artists, there are musicians, there are influencers, there are authors, but I feel that the answers come from within. So I used to stack books in my room that I thought were going to lead me down some journey. And they definitely had a number of good nuggets that I've used in my own journey. But I feel like a lot of those books at the end of the day, I recognized how many were filling up my room. And I was like, wait a second. Mm. These are all mini reflections of others' journey. Mm. And, and I'm on my journey. And... I know what I need. Like if I sit with myself and I quiet my mind, then I know what I need. It's it's within me. And so I would encourage others to grab a hold, especially if you need some inspiration to some of these influencers and these artists and these authors. But remember that you know what you need and try to just quiet your mind and take the space that you need for that. That is so powerful and uh, probably the nugget I'm going to take from this conversation, to be honest, because I'm someone who tends to plot out my path very carefully. And I forget that sometimes having very empty space and open space and a place to just think with no agenda is actually what we need the most. Mm hmm. It's been a true pleasure chatting with you, and we have so much content here that I think people will uh, learn from and grow from and figure out how to apply to their own journeys. So thank you for taking the time. Amazing. Thank you, Marcy, and thank you, everyone. I appreciate it. What I heard over and over in my conversation with Hillary was to pause and ask myself, what is it I need? Her story was a great reminder that health is not a given. We are the best and sometimes only people who can truly advocate for what we need. Even if you're in that dream job, a job you are in love with that makes you want to throw your whole self in, remember to build in ways to prioritize your health and happiness because no one else will. 
If we want to have an impact on tough, intractable problems such as racial inequity, the political divide, and eco-anxiety, we need individuals to sustain themselves so that these essential movements for change are able to continue. Hillary laid out her recipe for balance very clearly. Set boundaries, hold space for reflection, incorporate movement, and be in community. She also gave concrete examples of routines and norms that help her put these principles in practice. It left me wondering, what is my recipe for balance? I hope this week you get a chance to carve out space to sit with yourself and just listen. To articulate your personal recipe for balance and to vocalize what you need to do to prioritize your health and happiness.